Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to uh, examine your word. I thank you that the Holy Spirit is moving and working upon us, empowering us to understand these holy and these mysterious things. I pray, Father, that we would be free of distraction and we would be focused on you and that we would grow into a more pure and clear image of you, our Savior, as we feast upon your holy word. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to start today by telling a story. I'd ask if you're okay with that, but you guys are already stuck in here, so I'm just gonna go ahead and tell the story. So I wanna start with a story, a story about a married couple. Now this couple were walking down the road and they were deep in conversation, but it wasn't a fun, light, you know, exciting conversation. It was more of a mournful and a frustrated tone of conversation. In fact, there was really only one thing uh, that they were focused on, one thing that they were interested in talking about. Have you ever been in that place? You ever had that conversation where both, both parties really knew there wasn't anything else we we're gonna talk about but that one topic? Something ha has happened in the life of a community or in the life of a nation or a life of a family that, that will forever change it and ha will have redefined possibly your worldview. It was like that after 9-11. I remember that. Uh, for many of you, you might remember it, it was like that after Martin Luther King was assassinated or when JFK was assassinated or when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. I'm sure there wasn't much other conversation other than that horrible event. Well, for some of the younger people in the room, uh, when Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie broke up, there's probably a lot of conversation about that. I see some men in the room saying, yeah, I remember those. That was a rough, whew, that was a rough season, right? I won't point you out. But when those moments happen in our lives, that's, that seems to be all that we talk about. It consumes us as we try to process and try to understand and, and reassimilate into a life after such a life-changing event. You know as you're having that conversation with that other party that life will never be the same. It can never go back to the way that it was. And see, this couple, they, they were no different. They were walking through that same season as they discussed the recent events that had happened in their life. Uh, they didn't know how they were gonna move forward. They didn't know how they were gonna respond, how they were gonna move forward uh, in life. They were, they were frustrated and they were uh, angry with uh, the politics of their country. Uh, they, didn't see any, they didn't see any hope for the future. And isn't that a terrible place to be when your dreams and your hopes are destroyed right in front of you? We find ourselves asking, uh, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do? H how can we go forward after what we just witnessed? How can we continue to live our lives after what we just went through? And it's in that moment of frustration and irritation and uh, just at the, at the peak of, of that breaking point that a, a stranger actually walked up behind this couple and asked them what they were talking about. And in that moment, those strangers must have turned around, that couple must have turned around and looked at that stranger with mouths wide open. 
If they, if they weren't in shock before, uh, this would have, would have put them over the top. How could this stranger be asking what they were talking about? Imagine on 9-13-2001, you're talking across the fence with your neighbor about the events and how that's affected your family and how that's what you're talking about at church and how are we gonna move forward and how are we gonna respond and should we go to war, should we not go to war? And someone will walk up to you and say, hey, what are you guys talking about? How you might respond to them. You might look at them and say, how do you not know what we're talking about? How could you be so uh, disconnected? How could you be so uh, ignorant and ill-informed? How could you not know what has transpired? How could it not be affecting you? You see, they, they, uh, they would have looked at that man. In fact, the, the husband, his name was Cleo. He looked at that stranger and he asked him, are, are you stupid? Are you totally disassociated with what's going on in the world? Have you been living under a rock that you don't know what has happened these last few days in our country? And in fact, the stranger would have replied, well, uh, yes, I have been hiding under a rock these last three days. So please explain to me what has gone on. And that's when the, this couple began to tell the stranger about this man this man who had entered in their lives and they had pinned all their hopes, all their dreams on this one man. They, they, they talked about this one man, the man uh, who spoke like a prophet, who lived his life like a priest, offering grace and compassion and forgiveness and healing the sick and giving sight to the blind. They talked about this man uh, that, that they, they believed was going to walk into the nation like a king and was going to restore all things and was going to take all the wrongs and was going to make them right and was going to restore their nation. They talked about this man who when you spoke to him, he spoke with power and he spoke with authority so much so that many wondered if he was a son of God. But then you can imagine, uh, just as the conversation began to crescendo and you began to feel the enthusiasm and the excitement in their, in their hearts, you would see that their eyes began to water. Their voice might crack. And suddenly they would be looking down at their sandals and they would uh, say in almost a whisper, but it all came to nothing. Because that man was murdered. That man, that savior, that prophet, uh, that priest, that king, uh, he was killed. And our hopes and our dreams were destroyed with him. And it's all that we seem to be able to think and talk about. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever been in that place where uh, your expectations are broken? that you look at your feet and you see your dashed dreams spread out in front of you, your hope is destroyed. You begin to ask yourself, I don't, I don't know how I'm gonna go forward. How, how, can I, how can I go forward after this? How can I live? How can I, how can I not be bitter and angry and frustrated by the fact that I am completely broken? 
See, that's where this couple found themselves as they walked with this stranger, head down, confidence broken. And that's when the stranger decided to break the silence. And it's interesting, in moments like this, uh, we've all been there in moments of great tragedy, of great uh, brokenness and fear. Uh, we don't know what to say, so sometimes we say some things that we don't really know what it means. We're just saying it to kind of f fill the silence with words. We say things like, well, it's always darkest before dawn. Or, or it'll get better. Keep your chin up. Right? Those are some of the things uh, that we say. But that's not what uh, this stranger said. In fact, uh, this stranger looked this couple uh, in the eyes. And after a moment of silence, he said to them the words that we probably all want to hear in moments like this. Are you stupid? Right? Are you stupid? Are you foolish? Now, thankfully, this man didn't just stop with, with an insult. Uh, this man went on to explain why they were stupid, which is always my favorite part of being accused of being stupid is the next part of being explained why I was stupid. Uh, but uh, this man went on as well. And in, in Luke chapter 24, verses 26 through 27, we see his response. He says, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. See, they, they, they couldn't see that it was necessary. They, they, this, this idea of a suffering servant was something that they could not imagine. Essentially, this man explained to them a God who suffered. Now that's a scandal. I wonder if uh, they struggled not to laugh when he said that. We like scandals, right? We like the intrigue and the, and the energy that comes around them. But, but this scandal, the world could not handle. A God that suffers. That is the scandal of the cross. A God willingly suffering. You see, this, this couple, they had to completely change and reorient their worldview in order to try to process and understand, try to figure out who Jesus was. And they still didn't get it, even after the explanation of the stranger. Because you see, when, when Jesus is Lord, when Jesus is Lord, everything changes. When Jesus is Lord, it should change the way that we look at the world. When Jesus is Lord, it should transform, transform who we are. And like we talked about last week, when Jesus is Lord, it should become our highest priority, not to be replaced by anything else. When Jesus is Lord, that should be the reason for our existence. And it should when Jesus is Lord, it should transform our hearts. When Jesus is Lord, it should transform our hearts in such a way that we feel empowered and set free to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And likewise, it should also empower us that we now have a desire to love our neighbor as ourself. In the Methodist world, uh, we call that sanctifying grace. 
how sweet it is. See, sanctifying grace is this grace that, that comes upon us and empowers us to experience more of God's grace and to reflect more of God's love and his grace to a fallen and a broken world. Wesley would say that there are three kinds of grace. That there's this prevenient grace uh, that goes before us. When we were sinners and we hated God and we wanted nothing to do with God, his grace would, would go out and would, uh, my favorite word is it would woo us. It would speak kindly to us. It would offer kindness to us. It would be loving and compassionate and it would draw us near, draw us near to God and draw us near in such a way that it would empower us to, to, to have a hope and a desire to receive God's forgiveness and to receive a cleansing of our sins. And we call that justifying grace. And the way I remember that one is justifying, just if I, just if I had never sinned. When we experience justifying grace, that's what happens. We get to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ just as if we had never sinned. But sadly, many of us, we stop at that point. We say, all right, I'm going to heaven. It's just as if I've never sinned. All right, somebody high five me, right? But Wesley would challenge us, and I, and I think as a church, we must challenge one another that there is more ground to be taken that there is sanctifying grace, there is, there is growth, there is power, uh, there is purpose beyond our salvation. There's, there's a, a, a deeper level of love for the Lord that can be developed. There's a deeper uh, experience of God's grace that can be offered. But we must move beyond our salvation into sanctifying grace. See, the early disciples, they had to reorient their understanding of who Jesus truly was. They thought their Messiah, their Savior, that he was going to come in and he was going to snap his fingers and he was going to make all things right. He was, going to, he was going to fix all the problems that they had experienced. They thought that he was going to come in like some type of military leader and that he was going to take over and that he was going to restore them to power. That's why they were confused when their Savior died a criminal's death. See, they thought, that when Jesus showed up, all their suffering would disappear. And they were almost right. <laughs> Don't you hate it when you're almost right? That's the worst kind of right, I think, is almost right. You see, they couldn't imagine how Jesus was going to fulfill their hopes and dreams. They could, and they definitely couldn't imagine that that fulfillment of their hopes and dreams would include suffering. And how many of us are like that today? How many of us have this wrong understanding of Jesus and what it means to be a Christian? How many of us struggle with thinking that coming to Christ means that, uh, that our life will be easy and that all of our troubles are gonna go away and that we'll never suffer again? See, that's kind of that attitude of experience justifying grace, but never uh, opening yourself up and pursuing sanctifying grace. We tell ourselves, this is far enough. This is far enough and I'll... I'll finish the rest when I get to heaven. See, you see, they think that, we think that coming to Christ is easy. But I think the Bible is clear. that, And, and I think life would attest to this too, that, that suffering is a part of it. 
Suffering is a part of life. Suffering is a part of the Christian experience. Suffering, now, now suffering in vain is not a part of the Christian experience. We are called to suffer. But if, as, as Jesus suffered, if we faithfully follow him in that, we are promised hope and a future. And I think that may be what many of us are afraid of is suffering in vain. But Jesus promises that that is not the case. He never wastes a hurt. You see, yes, Jesus did come in power to heal and make new. And Jesus is going to judge the righteous and the unrighteous, amen? He is going to be a hero. But what they imagined, what the early disciples imagined is that their hero was gonna be coming, riding in on a war horse, ready to take over. But Jesus, our savior, came riding in in power on the foal of a donkey. He is gonna restore power, but it's through his humility. It's through his willingness to give his life for, for our sake. He is the victor over death. See, when Jesus is Lord, we have to give up all of our, all of our little gods. And again, the apostle Paul reminds us of this in our scripture. It says, even, indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven on earth, as in fact, there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. When Jesus is Lord, there is nothing else in life that can take that place. He becomes our highest priority and we can have no other gods. Now, in the days of Jesus, uh, the, the cultural challenge was that there was a myriad of gods. The, the cultural norm was for people to take and using clay or, or wood or carving into stone, making their own uh, little gods. It could be people, it could be animals, it could be mythical creatures. And they would literally bow down and worship these things that they made, which is weird, right? It's like, you just made that. Now you're saying it's a god? Like, how does that, how did you do that? And we, it's kind of funny and comical. Uh, but the reality is we have the same problems today. Uh, we, we struggle with worshiping similar little gods. Little gods like this. Uh, politics, sex, money, health, leisure, work. So let me, let me just say this. If you're wondering if you are struggling with, with idolatry in your own life, if you're struggling uh, worshiping uh, a little God in your, in your life, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there anything else that's the highest priority of your life other than Jesus Christ? Because if there's anything else, you're falling into idolatry. You're worshiping something else as God in the place of Jesus, who is the one true God. See, listen to me, church. When Jesus is Lord, he decides how we spend our money. If Jesus is your Lord, he should get to decide how you spend your money. Listen to this. The average Christian spends more money on lottery tickets a year than they do on world missions. The average Christian. The average Christian spends more money on their family vacation than what they give to God on a yearly basis. 
If Jesus is Lord, I don't know that that's how he's asking you to spend your money. When Jesus is Lord, he decides how you treat your enemies and how you talk about your friends, right? If he's your Lord, he should get to decide. If Jesus is Lord, he decides what's true. I don't get to decide what's true. If Jesus is my Lord, if he's my king, if he's in charge of my life, he reveals to me what is true. And it's my responsibility to be faithful to that. And thankfully, my Bible's over there. Uh, thankfully, he doesn't just hold that ransom away from us. Because he's loving and compassionate, he wants us to know what is true. And he gives us his word so that we do know what's true. But the problem with that, that means that because we have it available to us, we can be held accountable to it. Whether we've read it or not. Because it is available to us. If Jesus is Lord, he decides how we spend our free time. If Jesus is Lord, he defines what is marriage and what is not. He defines what is appropriate and when it's appropriate when it comes to sexual activity. If Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, he defines your priority. If Jesus is Lord, he, orient, he orients our identity. If Jesus is Lord, we should live lives that show we trust him. If Jesus is Lord, our lives should give him glory. If Jesus is Lord. See, church, we need to understand that it's through Jesus Christ that all things exist. If he is Lord, it should transform us and how we live. So this is my question for you this morning, church. Are you stupid? I want you to think about that for a moment. Try to look past the offense. Are you stupid? Because here's the reality. You're going to be called stupid. Either Jesus Christ is gonna look at you and consider you foolish for not uh, receiving his truth and living your life under his leadership or the world is gonna call you stupid for following the leadership of Christ. Many of us wanna live in, in between those two. But Jesus has something to say about being lukewarm. We have to decide who are we willing to allow to consider us stupid. In fact, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 18, for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When Jesus is Lord, it should change everything. It should change everything about what you believe. It should change everything about who you are. It should change everything about how you live. See, but the good news is about making Jesus Lord is that it, it gives meaning to our existence. Like I said before, uh, Jesus is not gonna allow us to suffer in vain because Jesus didn't suffer in vain. He suffered and then he was glorified. And for us as the church, we like the glorified part and we wanna skip the suffering part. But that's not how it works. We are follow, following the leadership. We're following the example of Christ, which means most likely we will suffer in some form or fashion, but we have a glorious hope that it will not be in vain and that it will glorify our Father in heaven. So our prayer for us, the preaching team, our prayer uh, for all of us 
is that our eyes would be open to the gift of Jesus Christ. Our eyes would be open to him not only as our Savior, but also as our Lord, as our King, as the one who directs our lives. So my, my, my second question for you, church, is will you allow Jesus to be your Lord? I just want to pause for a moment and let you think about that. Will you allow Jesus to be your Lord? He is not a dictator. He will not force you to follow him. He does invite you. Will you allow Jesus to be Lord? And then my follow-up question to that, if, if you instinctively said, well, yes, he is my Lord. Then my follow-up question to you is, does your life and your actions reflect that he is Lord? Or is it just a verbal commitment? I just encourage you to, to ponder over those things uh, this week. Now, here's what I find interesting. Uh, the two disciples uh, that Jesus was talking to, if you didn't know, that was Jesus. Jesus was a stranger, if you didn't know. When, when, do you remember when they realized that they were talking to Jesus? Do you remember? It was later on in the day. Uh, they were walking and, and Jesus was gonna continue and they said, no, 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 come and stay with us. Come and share a meal with us. And so they sat down. And when they sat down at the meal uh, and the bread was passed around, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he blessed it. And their eyes were opened. And they realized who they'd been walking with. And what did they say to one another? Did our hearts not burn within us in his presence? I love the fact that uh, we're talking about uh, the walk to Emmaus on Communion Sunday. Here in a moment, we're gonna be sharing in the Lord's table and we're gonna remember Jesus breaking bread. And I hope and pray that, that your eyes and that my eyes would be opened, that Jesus is Savior, but he's also Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your great compassion. I thank you, Father, that um, you are patient with our stubborn ways. You have all right and all authority uh, to make us live the way you want us to live. You have all right and authority to force us to live how you want us to live. But because you were loving and compassionate in a perfect balance of love and justice, you patiently wait and invite us to receive all the goodness that comes from being under your leadership, all the power and hope that comes from uh, being under your command, all the joy that comes from uh, working alongside you to accomplish your good plans and purposes, which you prepared in advance for us. Help us today, Father, to trust you and to say that you are Lord and live as if you are Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.